0: Thank you, Ella, for uh, reading God's word to us this morning. And thank you all for joining us online this morning. When I was growing up as a missionary kid in Papua New Guinea, my parents came up with a scheme to help us to be able to buy a car when we came back uh, to Australia. This scheme involved milking a cow. We sold the milk... Uh, to the other missionaries, uh, so that we could afford to buy a car when we came back to Australia. Now, unlike here in Australia, cow's milk is very scarce in PNG. So throughout high school, every morning and every night, my brother and I would milk a cow, one cow each. And for the sake of illustrating this passage, I could say that we were shepherds with a flock of two Cows. Our flock knew our voice, and they would sometimes come when we called them. But still to this day, I don't know if they came because we fed them, or they came because their udders were so full of milk that they were about to burst. Now, in reality, cows are not a flock, they are a herd. And so, we were not shepherds. We were cowards. <laughs> we fed our herd, we cared for them, and like good cowards, we protected them. So my experience for those few years in high school are the extent of my shepherding a flock. And let's be honest, it wasn't even a flock. It was a herd. My shepherding experience is limited to looking after two cows in the middle of Papua New Guinea. Maybe some of you have had more experience shepherding a flock. But I assume that most of you have had even less experience than I have. So I'm going to pray right now. And I pray that despite our lack of knowledge and experience with shepherding, that God might help us understand this passage today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, through your Apostle Peter, you have provided us with this encouragement as he declares your true grace. Help us as we examine your word that despite our ignorance, we might be transformed and changed by it today. In your name we pray, amen. So, last week, a number of you believed that it was my final sermon and that I'd finished this sermon series. Some of you didn't realize there was a chapter 5 in the book of 1 Peter, and you needed to turn the page to chapter 5. So just to make sure we're all on the same page, I want you to realize that this is the final chapter of 1 Peter, and this is my final sermon in this series of 1 Peter. Now, I would like to also say feel free to ask any questions you have on slido.com using the hashtag HBSP, and uh, I will answer some of those questions after the sermon, but also feel free to message me or email me during the week with any questions or concerns or any thoughts you have about the sermon series. I love hearing from you guys. As we look at this final chapter, I want us to consider Peter's exhortation to the elders who are to shepherd the flock of God. We will also consider what it means that our adversary the devil prowls around like a royal roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And lastly, we're going to conclude with a broad overview of the book focusing on Peter's purpose which is found in verse 12, where he tells us that he has written, exhorting and declaring the true grace of God and to stand firm in it. So that's where we're going today. And we're going to start with Peter's exhortation, his encouragement to the elders as a fellow elder to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Peter uses this term elder. He uses it to describe both himself and also those who take up this position as an elder in the church. Now, I grew up in the middle of Papua New Guinea milking cows. I would not say that my expertise is in church governance. But what I do find always fascinating is that when we consider church elders... We consider our experience with church elders now rather than what eldership would have looked like at the time that Peter writes. Peter writes in a time where the church could increase in number by 3,000 in one day from different cities, from different language groups. Can you imagine a more challenging time for church governance. Consider what happens with me in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people coming together from different cities, different language groups, different cultural backgrounds. They have come, it says, from every nation under heaven. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches to them. And he preaches the true grace of God, And they are cut to the heart. And they ask Peter, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For this is not just for you, but it's also for those who are far off. And so they receive his word, they are baptized, and they disperse back to every nation under heaven. They start preaching, they start teaching, and they start growing God's spiritual house. But on top of this, they start being persecuted for their faith. For those of you who love church governance, tell me, how would you deal with this situation? Today's passage In it, Peter tells us that his strategy for dealing with the church under pressure, people being persecuted while living on the margins of their society, he commands us to shepherd the flock. Peter's command is fairly straightforward. He says, to those who are older, they are to shepherd the flock, and to those who are younger, they are to be submitted to those who are older. Peter actually doesn't really go into much detail to explain to us what this looks like. He just instructs us to do it. Notice here as well, Peter doesn't comment on their spiritual, uh, spiritual maturity. He emphasizes that we must care for one another. Why? Because, as we've seen, Peter has just spent four chapters explaining that the flock will suffer. And so he says, shepherd the flock that is among you. And he says, do it with humility. Peter says in verse 3, he says, do it not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And he opens it up to everybody in verse 5, where he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we are to shepherd the flock with humility. And like any shepherd, we are to shepherd the flock by providing sustenance and protection. Now, the sustenance that we are to provide is spiritual food. This was what Peter's point was in chapter 2, verse 2. Would you flip to me with to chapter 2, verse 2? It says, like newborn infants long for the spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Peter knew what it meant to feed the flock with spiritual food. If you can remember back in John chapter 21, after Jesus' resurrection, he came to Peter and they had breakfast. And Jesus said to Peter, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He said it three times. And then he said to Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter knows exactly what it is to feed God's sheep. And he knows that because he has seen Jesus Demonstrate it over and over and over again. And one of the clearest points is when Jesus demonstrates it, when he feeds the 5,000. And this is found in Mark chapter 6, and we all know the story. Jesus feeds 5,000 with only five loaves and two fish. But we, what we often miss is that in this great miracle, there is a spiritual feeding that occurs first. Listen to these words from Mark chapter six thirty four. It says, when he went ashore, this is Jesus, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. Jesus saw the need for the word of God, and he fed them. And because Peter saw Jesus' example of how to shepherd the flock, he takes this command and he says, as Christ is an example to you to follow, shepherd the flock of God. The church needs shepherding. And they need it because they are suffering. And in order to survive the suffering... They must be fed. You have a responsibility to shepherd, to feed. And that happens when you, with all humility, help those around you grow in their confidence in the true grace of God and to encourage them to stand firm in it. Friends, it is us who are to shepherd those who are suffering amongst us now. We know that those who suffer are vulnerable. And so Peter wants us to protect them. The necessity for protection is found in verses 8 and 9. Read with me. It says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The devil here is seen to be like a roaring lion. But as the devil does what he does as he roars, we are to stand firm. And alongside this, we are to remember that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by Christians throughout the world. And I don't need to remind you of the horrors that have been experienced by our brothers and sisters even this week around the world. Our armor against the devil is to know the true grace of God and to stand firm in it. Peter sees the suffering around the world as a clear mark of the devil. As we saw last week, his handiwork looks like insults, being maligned, and all forms of suffering as a result of your faith. Suffering is a clear mark of the devil and shows us which side we are on. So resist the devil. Resist him by standing firm in your faith. The devil will tempt you to give up under trials and suffering. The devil will try to have you give up trusting in Jesus, to give up when the suffering is just too hard. And the devil will not only use the suffering caused by your faith, he will use any suffering as he seeks someone to devour he will use the suffering we experience through abuse, in shame, and in pain. He will use suffering experienced from wars in Afghanistan. He will use suffering experienced from depression while we are in lockdown. The devil will use any means he can get to so that you will abandon your faith. Now, it says here that we may have to suffer according to God's will. But it is not God's desire for us to suffer. He is in control, He is sovereign, and His power guards us. And Peter wants us to be assured that He cares for you. And so, even through this suffering, we can glorify God standing firm in our faith and we can resist the devil. And we do this because we are confident of our future, our salvation that is kept in heaven for us. And Peter assures us of this in verse 10, where he says, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. But the question still remains, why do we need to suffer for a little while? Why has he left us here? Why is the, what's the purpose of this suffering? Like the psalmist says, how long, O Lord, will you allow this to continue? And I believe Peter addresses this question in 2 Peter, uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 8, where he writes, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a 1,000 years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is patient in condemning this world and the injustice that his people face So that we might have the opportunity to repent. So that those that we love might have the opportunity to repent. And if you're listening here today and you're questioning why your life is so hard, why this suffering has to come on you, know that he sees you and he cares for you. He has not left you and he has not forsaken you. Rather, at the cross... He made a way for you to become part of his family. He is waiting for you to come to him because he cares for you. And still we can so easily lose the right perspective on our lives. In this time in history, we live in a time between Christ's death and his final return. And sometimes we still become confused about our suffering. We either blame ourselves or we blame God. The suffering here in 1 Peter comes as a result of doing good, not from us doing bad. And we keep telling ourselves, when life is good, God is good. But when life is bad, God is no longer perfect in his goodness. We believe this because this is what the world teaches us. This is not, pa- this is not Christianity. This is paganism. In many parts of the world, mission organizations struggle with what is known as the cargo cult, I'm not sure if you've heard of this, but this is the belief that comes into the faith taught by missionaries as a result of material possessions brought in by the missionaries. What happens is that the people see the benefits of the material goods that the missionaries bring with them. Acceptance of the good news brought by the, the missionaries, comes with material possessions. They think if we accept the good news, we will also get these materials. So you can see how it can be really difficult for missionaries to work with this problem. In one village, the missionaries came to do Bible translation, and they started teaching the people how to use computers. And it was a fantastic tool for bible translation it had the ability to answer any question that you asked it now one day a a group of rascals from another village came into this village and stole a bunch of stuff and the people in the village went to the missionaries and said to them ask the computer who stole our stuff right Now, as you can imagine, the missionaries said, no, it doesn't work like that. The computer won't do that, right? But the people went away not believing that the computer couldn't do it, but the missionaries did not want to ask the computer the question. Well, it turns out the next day, all the goods got returned, And the missionaries went to the people and said, why did you get all the good stuff? What happened? And they said, well, it was really quite simple. We just went around to all the villages and we told them that we had asked you to ask the computer who stole the stuff. And the computer was going to tell us who stole the stuff tomorrow. But if you return the goods today, before the morning the computer will not tell the missionaries who did it, and you will not be shamed. And so they got all their goods back. They developed a cult around the idea that missionaries brought material blessings. The manufactured goods, which were not native to their culture, had been created by spiritual means that the cargo had the, the ability to improve their lives and the goods were actually intended for them. But the missionaries, the foreigners, had unfairly gained control of it and were not giving them what they deserve. And at some time in the future, through spiritual means and through spiritual methods this valuable cargo would be given to them, the rightful owners. And we oftentimes chuckle to ourselves when we hear this because we think it's so ridiculous. How silly to believe something so absurd. But the reality is, is that we are more caught up in this belief than they are. We believe that if we have faith in God, the outworking of it will be security, will be prosperity here and now. Life will be good. But this is not the true grace of God. In verse 12, Peter says to us, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. Peter wants us to know and be assured of the true grace of God. The true grace of God tells us that God is good, that God loves us, but for a time, He allows bad things to happen. Suffering does not mean that God is not good. It does not mean that he is not sovereign. It does not mean that he is not with us, that he does not exist. Rather, this passage reminds us that God cares deeply for us when we suffer. So to really grasp the true grace of God, let's take a sweeping overview of the book of 1 Peter. Peter, here writes to people in a particular point in history, those he addresses as elect exiles, those who are chosen by God and who are exiled from this world and who have a new home waiting for them in heaven. Peter is writing to those who are living in the last times. That is the time between Christ's death and his final return. And this includes us. We live knowing that Jesus Christ is God's son, that he died for our sins, the one who is righteous for the unrighteous so that he might bring us to God. And according to God's great mercy, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. And in chapter 1, verse 20, Peter explains exactly why Christ died. It says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The true grace of God is that God sent his son to die and to be raised again and to be glorified so that our faith and hope are in God. And Peter continues, he writes to those who are living in the last times, that is between Jesus' death and his future return. Those who come to Jesus Christ, the living stone, and who are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy people, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, and this includes us. We are being built up into God's spiritual house. We know that God does not exist in buildings or in temples anymore. He has chosen to dwell in us through the work of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. The true grace of God is that we are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession we are the church and peter continues by writing to those who are living in the last time that is between christ's death and his future return and peter explains that as we live in this time We are to live as those who are free, but we do not use our freedom to cover up for evil, but we use it to be servants of God. And we come before God and we say, not my will, but yours be done. And he sends us back to be subject to every human institution for the Lord's sake. And we use Christ's life and his death as an example for us to follow. We are to walk in his steps. And just as Christ suffered, we know that we will suffer.ing We will suffer. And our suffering is not without a purpose. Rather, God uses it to test us, to refine us, to ensure that our faith is that is more precious than gold may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The true grace of God is that even though we go through various trials for a short time while we are here in the flesh, we look forward to what is to come. We are guaranteed an eternity with God. In chapter 5, verse 10, Peter says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Throughout the sermon series, we've been asking the question how can we live on the margins and hold fast to the gospel? How can we live with such great suffering? In Peter, we see that we do so knowing what is to come. We live with the future hope, knowing that our salvation is kept in heaven for us. And when we live knowing what the true grace of God is, there is a purpose in our pain. We make much of God. We bring him glory. We declare the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter writes this letter to exhort and declare to us the true grace of God, calling on us to stand firm in it, regardless of our lot in life. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. When life is hard, give us the strength we need to stand firm in your true grace. Protect us from the evil one. Help us to trust in your power that is guarding us. We give you all our anxieties and all our worries knowing that you care for us. So help us to remember that your timing and your patience means salvation. In your loving name we pray, amen. Now I'm going to give you about 90 seconds to ask any questions uh, using slido.com and I will be back in a few minutes to answer some of those questions. Thank you. Well, it looks like you've all been very gracious to me. Thank you very much. Um, There isn't any questions at this time, um, but definitely if you have any questions or any comments during the week, feel free to message me or to email me. That would be great. We are going to sing.